Hello, listeners, and welcome to A Growth Mindset. It's a podcast designed to answer your questions about cancer research. My name is Kezia. My name is Eileen, and we will be hosting a series of interesting interviews with some of the physicians from Jefferson Health, addressing all the questions and comments we have received during some of the screening events. That brings a good point to mention that all the upcoming free screening events for breast and head and neck cancer are posted on the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center website. And today we have Dr. Joseph Curry as our first guest. He is the chief of head and neck surgery division and he answered some interesting questions about human papilloma virus, also known as HPV. In all the supplemental material for this episode, along with the space for you to ask your questions, can also be found on the Sydney Kimmel website. Let's get to today's conversation. My name is Joseph Curry. I'm a head neck surgeon at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, and I specialize in treating patients with head and neck cancer, uh, and that includes patients with HPV-related head and neck cancer. Thank you so much, Dr. Curry. Um, I know that we went a little bit over um, what is HPV, but if you could just give us a brief summary of what you see in the clinic, um, what it is, how you contract, and the different types of it. Sure. So uh, HPV is a virus that causes many types of uh, problems, including the common warts that uh, people see. Most of those warts are caused by a non-cancerous type of the virus, but there are different strains. Um, Several strains can cause cancer, and uh, the most common cancer historically uh, was cervical cancer, which is related to two specific strains of the virus. Although there are many others that can cause cancer, there are two that are very common. That's HPV-16 and HPV-18. Now, over the past few decades, it's become apparent that HPV, the same virus, the same strains that cause cervical cancer, can cause tonsil cancer or throat cancer. That's a cancer in the tonsils or in the back of the tongue. Those cancers uh, can be caused specifically by HPV-16 most commonly. If you look around the world, some of the other cancerous types of the virus are more common, but in the U.S. it's HPV-16 that we see. So, um, you know, that uh, cancer caused by the HPV virus has been steadily increasing in incidence over the past few decades. It went from being one of the lesser common cancers in the head and neck to one of the most common cancers in the head and neck. It varies per region, but for example, in Philadelphia, we actually see that about 90% of our tonsil and base of tongue cancers are related to the HPV virus. In other parts of the U.S., it may be much lower, but nationally it's trending and it's at least 60% of those cancers are caused by the virus. What's also interesting is that most head and neck cancer patients used to be heavy smokers and heavy drinkers, and they would get cancers of the tongue or of the voice box. And nowadays with HPV-related cancers, some of those patients aren't smokers at all. And we actually see them presenting at a younger age with cancers. Over time, screening has gotten better and better for cervical cancer, and so that has declined while this cancer has increased. And so as of 2020, This was now the most common HPV-related cancer in the United States. Okay, great. And what are some preventative measures that um, someone can take in order to not contract HPV, and is it treatable? So, you know, we don't know all the different ways that people can contract the HPV virus that causes um, cancer, but we know, obviously, that the same strains that cause cervical cancer also cause this, 
And we also know from epidemiologic data that it can be where a higher number of oral sex partners correlates with an increased risk. And so we suspect that that is the most likely way that the virus is transmitted, and that is what's causing the cancer. So safer practices are likely to help eliminate the risk or decrease the risk of transmission of the virus and thus decrease the risk of uh, developing cancer. Now, the virus is very common. So if you were to, for example, screen 50-year-old men, you would find that you know up to 15% or so may have evidence of the virus, but most people clear it within a few months. A small fraction of people don't clear the virus and it's present for many years. We think that the virus is typically present for 15 to 20 years before, before it actually causes the cancer. Um, so it's a long period between infection and actually causing the cancer. There aren't great screening tests right now for us to easily say that, oh, you don't have it or it's gone or... Yeah. Um, to help people eliminate that. But some things that are on the future, on the horizon for this kind of cancer, one is the HPV vaccine. We think that it's likely to decrease the incidence and decrease the likelihood of people developing this cancer in the future. So vaccination for children, both boys and girls, is recommended by uh, different medical associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics. And we recommend that people pursue those vaccinations for their kids. Now, that doesn't necessarily help all adults, but the vaccine is approved for adults, um, actually well into adulthood. And so uh, it may be of some benefit if you haven't yet been exposed. Uh, and so there is the potential for an adult to get vaccinated. Now, if you've already had cancer and you get vaccinated, there's no clear data to say that it would prevent it from developing into a future cancer or help you fight that cancer although that is an area of active research. Where should somebody go to an otolaryngologist when they feel lumps? Who should they go to first if you're at home and you feel a lump in your neck or see something in your, in, on your tongue or in okay. the head and neck? There aren't a lot of symptoms that people have with HPV-related cancers. In fact, most patients present with a painless lump in the neck. So the first thing to look for is a lump in the neck. Anyone over 40 who has a lump in the neck, we think about the possibility of cancer. It doesn't mean you have cancer, but we want to see that patient, evaluate that patient, and get them examined. So they should seek medical care. Um, now, some people do have symptoms like throat pain or ear pain that doesn't go away with antibiotics. Oftentimes, patients will see their primary care doctors first and get treated. And if it doesn't go away, then it makes good sense to go and see an otolaryngologist to get evaluated and assessed for a head and neck cancer. Now, other head and neck cancers um, may have some symptoms as well. For example, persistent hoarseness without a good explanation may be a sign of a cancer of the voice box. Or a lump on the tongue that hurts or is painful can occur sometimes with an oral cavity cancer. Those typically aren't related to the virus, but those are signs to look for. I was reading how HPV positive groups, even in the metastatic setting, they live longer, so they have better prognosis compared to the non-HPV positive. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think that is? So when it comes to metastatic cancer, right? So cancer yeah. is staged by um, where the disease is. Now, fortunately, we can cure many people who have local disease, where they just have a tumor at the primary site or they have small lymph nodes. But as the stage increases, the cure rates do go down because there's a higher risk of that disease coming back or spreading elsewhere. Typically, 
Many cancers of the head and neck are treated either with surgery or radiation or radiation plus chemotherapy. Now, we can remove many tumors, but once it spreads to another site distantly in the body, commonly the lungs, sometimes to the liver, sometimes to the bones, we can't necessarily cure that. However, cancers that are caused by HPV are typically more responsive to therapy. They're more responsive to radiation and they're more responsive to chemotherapy. That increased sensitivity to treatment gives us other options. And now is a time when there is a lot of hope for new cancer therapies. Specifically, areas like immunotherapy are under active development where patients are getting therapies that aren't necessarily like chemotherapy, but they're therapies that turn your immune system against the cancer. And those do produce some exciting results. We do have patients who get very long-term responses, patients who you wouldn't think would get a complete response, sometimes do, and so it's an exciting time. I'm 54, and when I was 17, I did have HPV, mm -hmm. and I, I had some uh, precancerous cervical cell changes. So my question to the doctor was, does that put me at higher... Oh, and it was since uh, diagnosed that it was eradicated from my body itself, by itself. Oh, wow. And um, was wondering, these decades later, would I be more prone to, uh, prone to okay. uh, the HPV in the throat that the doctor was just talking about? Okay. Oh, wow. Or tumors in the throat. And she said no. And what is the five-year survival rate for these patients? So it really depends on who you're talking about because we have started to think about head and neck cancer as different diseases. We used to just say you had squamous cell carcinoma of the head and neck, but really HPV-driven cancers are different than uh, smoking-driven cancers. Patients that have a smoking and alcohol-driven cancer typically have a poorer prognosis. If you took all comers, everybody, we tell people it could be a 50 to 55% five-year survival, but that's very different. The same staging for patients with HPV-positive disease and smoking disease used to be very advanced, but it didn't reflect the outcome accurately. For example, a patient may have, uh, with a stage 3 oral cavity cancer, 60% uh, prognosis, but that same patient with a stage 3 oropharynx cancer or tonsil cancer could have a 90% chance of cure. So actually what happened in 2018 is they split it off into two separate staging systems. So we now stage those patients differently to reflect the prognosis. On average, uh, we expect that patients who have an HPV positive cancer will have as much as a 30% improvement in their prognosis because of the improved sensitivity and the improved cure rates for, for current therapies. Um, overall, things look positive for many of those patients. We can frequently help them and cure them, and that's our goal. Perfect, and I'm um, not sure if I can ask this, but you have a lot of HPV-positive patients here mm -hmm. in the clinic? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's, it's very common. Um, you know, in the past, oropharyngeal cancers were about 14 to 15% of head and neck cancers, so a relatively infrequent um, uh, population. However, now, when we look at all of our cancers, it makes up at least one-third of our new cancers. So it is among the most common new cancer diagnosis that we see because smoking rates have declined, oral cavity cancer rates have declined, and also laryngeal cancer rates have declined. So we still see those in many patients, but I would venture to say that probably by this time, um, it's the most common new cancer that we see. Yes, if I smoke, if I drink alcohol, and only on occasion, but I'm not a smoker, 
So anything abnormal in the mouth, you know, you know, was fine. I mean, we still strongly counsel people away from smoking. And if you did have an HPV positive cancer but are a smoker, you actually lose that benefit. So for example, with every pack year, so if you smoke one pack a day for a year, that takes off about 1% of that 30% benefit. So if you smoke heavily your whole life and you had an HPV positive cancer, you may have the same prognosis as an HPV negative cancer. Okay. So that we still strongly people strongly counsel people away from smoking. And the percentage that develop head and neck cancer, um, what number would you say are heavy drinkers? You know, alcohol history is very challenging because people often say, you know, I drink socially or whatever, but the NIH definition for a woman is seven drinks per week. So one drink per day per week would technically make you um, a heavy drinker and alcoholic. For a man, two drinks per day per week, so 14 drinks in a week. So alcohol histories are, are a little bit more challenging to accurately nail down, but it is relatively common, and we do encourage people to stop drinking um, when they have a diagnosis of a head and neck cancer. Now, in people who do heavily drink, they have a different pattern of cancers. In fact, they often develop cancers in other locations, like in the hypopharynx or low in the throat. That is a common um, finding with people who are very heavy drinkers. Um, smokers, it's still very common. In fact, among our patients who have HPV positive cancer, most of them have some smoking history. Not as much as like a HPV negative cancer, but we have very few who are truly a lifetime non-smoker. It's that that's probably uh, a quarter of the patients that have an HPV positive cancer. Uh, we are in FDR Park to meet uh, some of the patients who are attending the uh, health and wellness fair about head and neck cancer and see how how uh, how's the public awareness about cancer research and what it can help the society. So is there anything in particular about head and neck cancer that you think is important for the community to be aware of, of the process of screening or anything in general? Well, I think the process of screening is very important in any kind of cancer, you know, head and neck, because you never know. You could always be the first in a family that comes down with it, so it's very important to know. So yep. that's why I'm um, doing this. I'm glad that you guys are out here doing it for free because a lot of barriers are, especially with my community, the African-American community, is money. And even if you have insurance, sometimes the co-pays are too expensive for you. You know, so I'm just doing it, you know, because it's here and it's yeah. free. Yeah, you know, why, why not? not? Can't yeah. hurt anything. Exactly. You know, so might as well do it. Oh, great. Today we learned a lot about HPV and its association with head and neck cancer, and we hope this was able to answer any questions on how research helps us with scientific discoveries. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to this episode. Again, we welcome feedback and questions on the comment section. See you next time. time.